chapter 1, 26 to 38. So it's a good thing you got that right, anyway. Right, are you all ready? In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Amen. Just pray for you. Okay. Father God, I just thank you for the glory of your living word for the way it lives and breathes and brings life to us and father god i do ask father that um, as miriam just shares what you've placed in her heart lord set fire to it transform lives and send us out into this night and this week praising and worshiping living for you father amen hi there now, we've just had two nativity services um, today, led very well by Heather and Charlotte. Um, they were great. And I know the, the Christmas story is almost over-familiar sometimes, but I have just been uh, thinking about it from Mary's point of view. And um, that's what I want to share with you today. Because I wonder, what picture have you got in your mind of the first Christmas and what happened at the first Christmas was actually the greatest miracle ever that God should take on human flesh. We couldn't have had the resurrection without the incarnation. So that was the equally great, but we couldn't have had the re resurrection without first the incarnation. And as Paul says in Philippians 2, who being in very nature God did not count equality with God something to be grasped 
but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. A lady called Madeline Lengel said this. She said, was there a moment known only to God when all the stars held their breath, when the galaxies paused in their dance for a fraction of a second, and the word who had called it all into being went with all his love into the womb of a young girl. Can I read that again? Was there a moment known only to God when all the stars held their breath, when the galaxies paused in their dance for a fraction of a second, and the word who had called it all into being went with all his love into the womb of a young girl. What a staggering and mind-blowing miracle. Mm. And this was in order to save people like us from our sins. That's what the name Jesus means, isn't it? He will save the people from their sins. And in one way, I want to look at the scandal of Christmas. It's not a little myth, a little nice, cozy little stable scene and all that stuff. It isn't. It's the scandal of Christmas is horrific, actually. And I want to blow away any myths that you might have and look at it particularly from Mary's point of view. Simeon said I could speak on anything as long as it was vaguely to do with Christmas and that it was biblical. So there you are. Um, So John's just read uh, the bit that I'd asked him to read from Luke chapter 1. And um, I've marveled over and continue to marvel over Mary's response to the angel. Um, How was she able to say... I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let's look at the angel's greeting. He first of all says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Boy, did she need that. The Lord is with you. Why was she highly favored? Imagine Mary. She was a young girl, probably about 14 or 15 years old living in the remote village, or the town, as it was called, of Nazareth. And we know later, do you remember when when Nathaniel was told Jesus, he came from Nazareth, he said, what on earth, what good comes out of Nazareth? So it was a little, I won't say any place in case somebody comes from it, but you know, think of a place in, somewhere, somewhere in the Lincolnshire Wolds, perhaps, that is just no, no place, and that's what this is the sort of comparison it is. It, so he came from a remote village of Nazareth uh, in an occupied country. And uh, she was anonymous, she was unknown, and quite ordinary. Yet in God's eyes, she was extraordinary and chosen. She wasn't perfect, as some, of the, some parts of the church have proclaimed in the past, but she was just like you and me. But I think she was chosen because of her heart after God. Her humility and willingness to receive what God had for her was what made Mary worthy of being the one chosen to bring the Messiah into the world. Ruth Chu Simons is a a woman that I love her readings and she says this, when given God's plan for her role in the incarnation of Christ, 
Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her heart posture readied her for a plan she didn't fully understand. She simply trusted God. And that trust made room for all his plans to unfold in and through her. Posture determines our approach and trajectory on any journey. It's the unseen rudder that directs the way we welcome any circumstance and any season. I think it's very interesting, after the angel proclaims this to her, this mind-blowing thing, you know, she's unmarried and she's suddenly going to have a baby and what's all that about? And she then went to visit her relative Elizabeth. And I just feel this was God's provision for her. You know, there was somebody else who understood the God of the impossible because she had not been able to bear children and suddenly she's six months pregnant. And um, we know nothing of the attitude of Mary's family. We're not told. They may not have believed her, but they would have wanted to protect her, I guess, from scandal and the law. Uh, She could have been stoned, according to the law, because she was having a baby outside marriage. And not only was there understanding from Elizabeth, but there was also confirmation that what the angel had said was true. Listen to this. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I find it incredible that Elizabeth recognised the lordship of Christ while he was just... He'd been put there a couple of days before. I don't know how long, a week or so before. How amazing. So Elizabeth recognised Jesus as Lord even before he was born. And Mary's response was the Magnificat. I also thought, at what point did Mary recognise Jesus, her son, as Lord? Must have been extraordinary. You know, this little baby, helpless baby, when did she actually recognise him as Lord? I, I don't know. Let's just read the Magnificat. It says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. So she knew that she was the fulfillment of the promises that had been told Abraham even all those years ago. Here was a girl willing to lay down her life, her future, her reputation, her expectations, and the approval of others to submit to the unknown, believing that God would provide and protect her. I came across a quote from a man called Abraham 
Kuyper, who was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands in the early part of the 20th century. He was also a reformer and a theologian. And he said, there is not a square inch in the whole of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There's not a square inch in the whole of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And okay, Mary, she was the bearer of Christ, but she was recognizing that God, who was sovereign over all, there wasn't an inch of her person that wasn't submitted to, to God. I guess there were times when she struggled, but her attitude was one of wanting to be used by God. And let's look at Joseph for a minute. Mary had obviously told him she was pregnant and he was thinking, help her. Perhaps I need to just quietly put her away. Um, And whether he believed her or not, an angel appeared to him in a dream to confirm what Mary had said. And so he obeyed and he took Mary home to be his wife. And this would have caused great scandal and um, gossip. In those days, uh, the tradition was that a Jewish man would, like Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. That was actually what um, human Jewish men would have said to their would-be wives. They said, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place, another room, we'll build on another room, and then I'll bring you back uh, as my wife. So he wouldn't have had time to do that. And... He, um, sorry, I've just lost my place for a minute. Yeah, you know, he, he would have borne the scandal. Was he the, was he the father of the child? No. Well, had she been unfaithful then? Well, it was, it was awful. But in Joseph's obedience to God's will, he forfeited the joy of being the father of their first child. And he also forfeited the right to name his son. That was a very important ceremony. And uh, do you remember when uh, Elizabeth uh, had said, um, had had John the Baptist and Zechariah was mute? And they said, oh, well, he, he really ought to be called on the, when, they, when he was circumcised. He'll be, he should be called Zechariah. And I said, no, 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 his name is to be John. Well, it's a bit strange. He, we haven't got anybody in the family who's called John. And then Zechariah wrote, his name is John. And then he was able to speak after that. So again, Jesus probably should have been called Joseph uh, in, in, in tradition. But he was, no, he's going to be called Jesus. Uh, Jesus. For Mary, this was very real. And then we come to Mary's, uh, to, to the birth of Jesus. And it, this is to blow a few myths. It's highly improbable that Joseph and Mary hurried to Bethlehem, you know, eight and a half months pregnant out here, and thinking, we've got to get there just in time, and then they immediately arrive, and then immediately she has the baby. I, I, I doubt if that happened. We don't know. Um, but because it, it says in verse 6 of chapter 2, while they were there, the time came for Mary to be born. So I think he'd gone there some time before. And um, they would not have traveled alone. You often see these Christmas cards with a single donkey and 
poor Mary and Joseph going on their own. You know, there would have been crowds going from, um, from Nazareth and the surrounding area to Bethlehem because of, they were of the house and lineage of, of David. And it would be unsafe for, for them to travel alone. They would have always traveled in company. Do you remember the um, story of the Good Samaritan? You know, robbers and people were around, um, and far more so probably then than, than now. So they would have been with others, and they would have both walked the 80 or so miles. If they'd had a donkey, it would have been used as a beast of burden. Mary certainly wouldn't have uh, been on the donkey. In fact, it has been suggested Joseph might have been on the donkey, but not Mary. Uh, but, uh, but their stuff would have been on the donkey. So yeah, that puts it a slightly different perspective on it. And Joseph may well have decided to take Mary to Bethlehem sooner rather than later in the pregnancy to protect her from gossip and slander in Nazareth. We don't know. And it says in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The word for inn is not what we think. Um, the word here should be translated guest room. I know Daniel's said this beforehand. And it's the word cataluma, and it's the same word that Jesus uses um, when he asked his disciples to prepare his Passover in the guest room or the upper room. So it's the same word that Jesus uses then. And in Jesus' day, poorer families lived in homes with one extended room. And, you know, they didn't have double beds and single beds and all that. They'd just have mats that they would roll out at night. So it was the living room where it was used for everything. And um, sometimes there was a guest room on the same level or on the roof. And there was always a small area at ground level under the same roof where the family animals were kept secure at night. So Luke is saying here that there was literally no place in the guest room of a private house. And as a member of the house of David, Joseph would have had a welcoming family, whatever the circumstances, because you know the Old Testament law very much said that the Jews should be hospitable uh, to aliens and exiles. That was one of the things they should do. So they wouldn't have rejected um, him. Um, and the guest room, anyway, in this situation was already occupied. So Mary would have had her baby in the living room. Can you imagine? And she would have used the manger, which was set up at the end of the raised floor of the living room, in which to put her baby. And she wouldn't have been alone. And I don't think Joseph would have been with her. In those days, he'd have probably been out pacing the floor somewhere. But, and she would have had other women with her, um, I'm sure. And I was just thinking, why were the shepherds the first people to come and visit her? Um, they were often despised and being outcasts. They were dirty, they were filthy. They were seen as being on the fringe of society. And interesting, I don't think it would have been beneath them to go looking for a baby in a, in a, a trough. You know, if they'd said, oh, it's in the palace, they'd have thought, why, why have we been chosen? Oh, we can't go there. But actually... A baby's manger? Okay, we'll go looking. So I, I, I don't know whether they were led there or whether they'd looked over everybody's house. In Bethlehem. Bethlehem wasn't that big in those days. And just think, well, is there a baby in the manger? No. Is there a baby? Oh, here we are. You know. And um, 
The amazing thing is that God reaches down from the glory of the highest heaven to rescue and transform the, the lives of the lowliest, the shepherds. And incidentally, those shepherds might have been out on the Bethlehem hills looking after the lambs that were going to be sacrificed at Easter at the Passover. Isn't that, that's another prophetic thing. And then they met the true Passover lamb. I think that just thrills me. I can't imagine it being quiet that night. You know, we sing silent night, holy night. You know, so all is calm. I bet it wasn't calm. <laughs> it was chaos. And um, I was guess there was a great hullabaloo going on in the house. You know, babies being born, there would have been, I don't know, noise and much talk and jubilation. And Mary and Joseph would have told their side of the story, I'm sure, to the shepherds. They wouldn't have just stayed mute. We have these pictures of you know, very holy scene with Mary and Joseph very mute and the shepherds coming and worshipping and then going. But no, it says they were amazed at all that they saw and were told and then they went and told other people. But there would have been an outburst. And uh, I do often wonder how Mary felt. She'd just given birth. And, you know, if any of you have given birth, you know, you don't necessarily feel like seeing loads of, loads of visitors. But actually... There would have been such amazement and joy. And maybe for Joseph and Mary, boy, seeing the shepherds and what they'd seen then confirmed to them, we weren't just dreaming. Wow. And, you know, however many times we know what God has said, we sometimes need memorial stones, don't we? You know, the, the people of Israel were told, put these stones in the River Jordan or put these stones in the Red Sea so that you know what God has done. Some of us look back to our baptism or to a particular experience as I know God was real then. So even if I'm doubting, I know he was real then. I've got to look back to that. And it says Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So I have, she, she must have built them up as a sort of a record of, oh, that happened. So it was real. Oh, and that confirmed it. And I, I think that's lovely. Later on in Luke 2, we see Joseph and Mary go to the temple to present Jesus to God according to the law. And again, Simeon recognizes by the Holy Spirit who Jesus is. And he prophesies over Jesus. And then he says in verse 34 to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Then he would have looked at Mary, and a sword will pierce your heart also. Do you want to be told that when your baby's a few days old? Wow, how profound. Hang on, I've just been told he's the son of God, but then I'm going to be, my, a sword is going to pierce my heart. But she said, I am the servant of the Lord. We know that Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem for quite some time because of the timing of the visit of the Magi um, in Matthew chapter 2. Was this to protect them, again, from scandal and gossip in Nazareth? I don't know. What, you think, why did they stay in Bethlehem all that time? don't know. But we do know that they had to flee into Egypt because King Herod wanted to kill Jesus. He murdered all the baby boys under two who had been born at a similar time of, as Jesus. 
And they say that would have been probably about 20 or 30 children, the size of the town at the time. I was just thinking, how did Mary feel about that? My child's safe, but he's the cause of all these other baby boys to be killed. That's very hard. And I was just, I love stories, so I was just thinking about when Jesus walked this earth as, as an adult. He, it doesn't actually ever say in the Gospels that he went to Bethlehem, but I'm sure he did. Uh, it was in Judea. And maybe there were other mothers there who'd say, how old is he? Where was he born? Why, why did he escape and not my son? So again, that was another sword in Mary's side. Why did my son escape? And all these other children were killed because of my son. That's hard to bear. The Christmas story is not cozy and comfortable. Mary knew what it was like to be homeless, to be rejected by family and community. Then she was a refugee in a foreign land. She was the object of others' gossip and slander and disbelieved on many fronts. And I thought for the rest of her life, she would have carried a tarnished reputation. But she said to God, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. So what does God want to say to us through this remarkable young woman and her response to the angel Gabriel? Is my heart right? Is your heart right before God this Christmas? Am I willing to do whatever he asks me to do with a humble attitude, or does my agenda take priority? This year, John and I are going to Gloucestershire to look after my mother over Christmas for 11 days. We're going to be joined by her sister, and that's not easy, and another couple. And we won't be seeing our family at all. And I've been so challenged as I've, I've prepared this because I've had to ask God's forgiveness for going there with a the wrong attitude and with some reluctance. It won't be easy. But if I go with the wrong attitude, I could miss out on what God wants to do in me and through me. One exciting thing is that on Christmas Eve, um, we are going to join some, a, a Christmas carol service for just asylum seekers who come from the Middle East and um, beyond. And just last week, one of them was baptized and my sister went to their, his, his baptism. So who knows? This might be the best Christmas ever, but I've got to get my attitude right, uh, which hopefully it is now. Um, <laughs> I was very challenged by Jesus' rebuke of Peter when Peter rebuked him for talking about his death. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Our agendas are often not the things of God, but the things of men. And the Lord wants us to daily say to him, I am your servant. And when we say yes to him, we don't know what is ahead, but we know he will be with us and his grace is sufficient. And isn't Christmas all about Emmanuel, God with us? Although Mary's life was not as she would have chosen, yet what joy and privilege she had to be one whose blood gave him life 
but then his blood gave her life. Joy and sadness coupled together, this was to be Mary's life. Undeserved privilege at being chosen to be the mother of Jesus. But with this came incredible pain and sacrifice. Can you imagine standing at the cross watching your son die? I thought you, you were going to be the one who's going to give hope to Israel. And I'm going to watch you die. I am the Lord's servant. That's what she said. I want to just say, can you and I say this? Not just today, but always. Because it's the best way. It's the only way. And Jesus says, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You'll have life. We're coming to communion. And just thinking of, but really, the purpose of Jesus' birth was in fact to die for us. Jesus, his name means to save people from their sins. And as we come to communion, we are reminded again of how much we all need a savior. Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive in Christ. And when Jesus is talking about the Passover, the last Passover that he had with his disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the wonderful thing is, because of the incarnation, we have Emmanuel, God with us. But because of his death and resurrection, we not only have Christ with us, but we have Christ by his Holy Spirit in us, the hope of glory. So as we take the bread and drink the wine, let's bring our own agendas to God and lay them at his feet and ask him what he wants us to do, even this Christmas. As Abraham Caper said again, there is not a square inch in the whole of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Mm. How can we not give him all when he's given everything for us? So I just freely invite you to take communion and share it among yourselves now. Thank you, Lord, for the, your greatest gift to us, which is Christ himself. Lord, speak to us, we pray, as we take your bread and remember your broken body and the blood that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord, for this such a great sacrifice in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.